0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today is going to be a how I done it episode uh, to use proper grammar there. But we we are going to look at a founder story. We're going to look at an up and coming D2C brand, a brand that's near and dear to my heart because we get to work with this guy on a daily basis and he's awesome and his brand is amazing. Are you a D2C brand spending over six figures a month on paid media? If so, then listen up. My agency, OMG Commerce, and I have worked with some of the top e-commerce brands over the years, including Boom, Native, Groove, Monin, Organifi, and dozens more. And every year, we audit hundreds of Google, YouTube, and Amazon ad accounts. And we always find either significant opportunities for growth or wasted ad spend to cut or both. For example... Are you missing YouTube ads? Whatever you're spending on top of funnel Facebook, you should be able to spend 30 to 50% of that or more on YouTube with similar returns. So if you're spending 300 to 400,000 a month on Facebook, you should be able to easily spend 100 to 150,000 or more on YouTube. Visit omgcommerce.com to request a free strategy session. Or visit our resource page and get some of our free guides loaded with some of our best strategies for YouTube ads, Google Shopping, Amazon DSP, and more. Check it all out at OMGCommerce.com. I am delighted to introduce Nish Samantre to the call, founder, uh, co-founder of Array, and you'll hear all about Array as we go. And so, with that. Nish, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to do this.
1: Oh, thank you, Brett. I'm so excited to be here. Brett, one thing I want to say is, when I first met you, and I've only met you once in person, I knew you were a big guy, but you were a really big guy. That was just <laughs> one thing that really stood out to me. I was like, holy shit, Brett, why are you now, so massive? Now,
0: define, define big. Do you mean like tall and chiseled, or do you mean like, dude, you better go on a diet? Uh <laughs> no comment no, I'm j- <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs>
1: uh,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was so funny. We were actually just talking about basketball. You and I were uh offline a minute ago. So there's this guy in my hometown, another business guy, I love him. He's like just one of those super honest guys. So we we played a game one time, and afterwards he's like, Brett, you're really good. Uh you know, if you dropped about 20 pounds, you'd be really good. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> that was the most unique compliment that I've gotten in some time. So uh, I did actually lose 20 pounds after that. So that was good. So he inspired you me. Look great, but, uh, Brad.
1: You look great, Brett. You look great.
0: You're, thanks, you're a big boned, chiseled man is what you are. <laughs> okay. That, that is fantastic. So yeah, we, but we recently got to hang out in LA, which is where you are. We had breakfast at a phenomenal place close to LAX. And I'm pretty sure we saw Terry Crews uh, also having breakfast there, which was a pretty crazy story. <laughs>
1: yeah, he did. He just uh, walked in, and by the way, this is like a random little spot close to the airport, and he exactly. just happened to have breakfast.
0: Yeah, LA is yep. weird like that. LA is the place to be. I don't know that buy LAX is what I would recommend, but you had to do it for my schedule, which I really, really appreciate. So, uh, Let's dive in, Nish. I'm so excited to for the peeps to hear about Array and all that you've got going on, because lots of lessons here, but Let's rewind a little bit. So pre-array, what did you do, and, and how did you get into to e-commerce? That's funny.
1: So I am a mechanical engineer who became a software developer, who became a product manager, and then kind of worked my way around to becoming an e-commerce founder. Essentially, my whole thing, my whole life was that I was really good at math. And so I just took very mathematically inclined roles kind of worked that in school and even did that in in jobs. And so my whole life, I was, okay, I I like math. I'm going to go ahead and try to learn how to code because I didn't like mechanical engineering. Coding was really fun. I used to work in the tech, technology industry and I worked for some really amazing companies. I worked for software development teams at, at banks in Canada. Um, then I also went and worked at some of the largest like fintech companies in India and Japan. So there was a time in my life where I was going to India once a month for a company wow. called Paytm. And that was the probably the best experience of my life, because this is where I learned how to build a business. This company went from zero to, it's a $20 billion company plus now. they also wow. ipo would and they have the biggest IPO in India. And so this was a really cool experience for me, because I was sitting right next to the founders and CEOs, and I was like, wow, this is how you really build a company. And so after this, I was like, okay, I feel really well-equipped to start a company. By the way, just to give you a little bit more context, I had started a technology company before starting Array which was doing fairly well. It was just that when I was working on this, I was so busy working on it, and my wife, Sif, was working on her own thing, and I was like, damn, if we don't work on something together, we're not gonna be together. And so we just said
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And so we smart said, okay. man prioritizing <laughs> the most important relationship in your life above anything else, but uh, I-, I see you guys on social media. First of all, you're like super cute together, and I tell you have fun together. Uh, but yes, yeah, so you guys decided to go all in on a business together. We did, we absolutely did. And so I just said, okay, Siv, you come up with the
1: idea and I will I'll, I'll help build whatever you think is right. And so this is kind of how the story of Array started, where basically the two of us are super polar opposite people. Like I am your very nerdy engineer and she's like the coolest person on Instagram with like 60,000 followers, really into fashion, really cool people, love looking and following and you know liking your stories and all this kind of stuff. But essentially she suffered from a uh, a fractured rib from a chronic cough and when that happened the idea was okay this is insane and the doctor prescribed her codeine and so she was like there's got to be a better way to take care of herself from a preventative way and just like live a very healthy holistic lifestyle and for me I didn't even know what all of that meant. I was just working in tech and it's inherently a very stressful environment. But over time, I was like, wow, this is amazing to be able to take care of yourself. And so first of all, it started in the world of skincare because you know, she was in the beauty world and I used to be stealing all of her skincare and I was a man with an eight step skincare routine.
0: But after that, in I said- "Wait, way, started, like, way, way, yeah. way to do that proudly, proudly. <laughs> Why not? Now, I do have to ask too, just, just while we have just a quick break here, so you're into math. I, I've I always enjoyed math in school, but I was like just, you know, pretty good at math. You strike me as one. Were you, were you a mathlete? Were you ever on like the math teams and stuff? <laughs> yeah, I was, yes. I was. I was. Yes. I know a few of my friends are mathletes or former mathletes, I should say. Uh, what, what, a, what an honor. What a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, I uh, keep going. Keep going. No, no, no. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, but you don't have to be a mathlete to be successful at e-commerce. And that's a good thing for the rest of us. Uh, so anyway, so you guys were doing you were doing skincare, you had this eight-step routine, your skin looks great, by the way. Um uh, so I started skincare and then where'd you go from there?
1: We started skincare, and so essentially the idea was that okay, skincare has obviously progressed a lot in the last 10 years. You look at skincare and it's like, wow, this this industry is one where everything you're using is first of all really efficacious, it actually works. You know exactly what you're using your products for. And so you can like solve very specific problems on your skin by using a very specific product. Second of all, the products are built by doctors or dermatologists with a lot of credibility, a lot of scientific background. So it just really made sense and worked. And last thing was, it was an extremely beautified process. So the, the 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 concept and the behavior of buying skincare, especially for women, is such a beautiful, nice experience. The packaging is amazing. The ideology of buying good skincare is so cool. Uh, people respect when you have a six-step skincare routine. That whole idea was really, really fascinating. And in the wellness world, that wasn't the case. We're still and even today, we still have medicine cabinets that look like, you know, just a bunch of white bottles, and you don't even know what it is that you're taking. And so our idea was that, okay, first of all, we can solve certain problems using, natural ingredients that, that work in under an hour. That's kind of our philosophy. We create hundred percent natural ingredients that work in under an hour. And that is the only thing we're gonna do because we want you to take our supplements and feel the effects in under an hour. So that was the idea behind it. And then also we said, well, let's also back it up with a lot of doctors and naturopath doctors and medical doctors who can actually come and help us with the formulation process. So you know that what you're taking is gonna work. And the last thing is just make it all really beautiful so that you don't have to hide it in your closet. It looks really good on your bedside table.
0: Yeah, it's such a it's such an interesting thing. You know, so many companies that are in the supplement space or health and wellness, they don't think about truly building a brand and they don't think about that experience. And so uh, I want you to talk about kind of your your core products in a minute, but but I've purchased both your your bloat capsules, so pills you take after you eat to reduce bloating and uh, one of my favorite lines comes from one of your customers uh, who said, "I refuse to choose between eating pizza and feeling good, so I can eat pizza and then take the blow pills and I feel great." Uh, the product is fantastic, by the way, but but Thank even you. more than that, the 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 canister—that's—I'm sure that's the wrong word—the the what the what jar. is contained in jar? Yeah. There you go, jar. Yeah, that's—I uh, <laughs> don't know why that word escaped me. <laughs> uh, but it's a glass jar, nice little lid on it. The the the. Label feels pre- you hold it in your hand, and it feels premium, and and it it works, and so it's great. You also have the uh, product called Calm, which is which is also great. I've taken that. You know, I'm pretty high stress most of the time, going all the time, either either dealing with eight kids at home or running a business or whatnot. So, Calm is a good product for me for sure. So so yeah. So you combined natural great ingredients that work in under an hour. Love that uh, with beautiful branding, beautiful packaging. And it, it just it adds to the experience, right? Which which is which is really unique. I don't know really any other brand that's focusing on both like that, like you guys are.
1: Yeah, I mean it seems just really obvious. I think when you're using a product, you want to feel good about using the product. Also, mm-hmm. especially in our world. And what I mean by our world, I mean prob- like problem areas of your body these things tend to be pretty stigmatized. For example, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, like all these words are not exactly sexy words to talk about, right? right? But (laughs) the, the thing is that we all actually suffer from these kind of problems. And so the whole thing is that, okay, we know we suffer from them. Why don't we just Make the experience of dealing with them very, very human and something that is actually really pleasant. That's the entire idea behind it. And so we put in so much care into the labeling and like the type of label that we use. And then also when you put the label on, like we put it on at a very specific speed so that it's perfectly parallel. Otherwise, uh, you'll see the labels are actually like, you know, a little bit like upside down sometimes and whatnot. And so all these little details you pay attention to because it just makes that experience so much better. And then you feel proud about the product that you're taking. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, you, you feel good about it sitting out on the counter. And, and I, I do recommend everybody check out the site. We'll, we'll mention it a few times, I'm sure. But it's array.com, A-R-R-A-E.com. And you'll see it. And actually, there's some parallels here. Do you know the brand Tushy? Are you familiar with Tushy? Of course, and yeah. Yeah. So, love Mickey. Uh, go back and listen to the episode where I interviewed Mickey She's built several brands from scratch, including Thinks, which is period-proof uh, underwear, and then Tushy, which is a bidet company, and she talks about being artful and fridge-worthy even for stuff that's a little hard to talk about, like a bidet, right? But there, there's actually some similarities in the way, and, and you guys are unique brands, but um, you know, you, you look at the Tushy site and you're like, "This is fun to shop, and this looks beautiful, right?" And uh, and I feel the same way about about Array as well, which is awesome. So
1: yeah, it's, it's um, really cool. They uh, Tushy also has a uh, comedian who actually writes her copy. Like that's how much they've invested in in their kind of brand and ecosystem. So it's yeah, it's really cool.
0: Yeah, that, that's one of their one of the things they do. Like they'll write a video script, and then they'll bring in comedians to make it to make it funny and to to bring something. Uh, to life a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a super super fun brand for sure. So uh, let's dive in a little bit. Let's talk about the ideation phase, and and this will be important, I think, for for a few reasons. One, there could be people listening that are just getting started, and they're in the ideation phase. But I think there's also a lot of people listening to this podcast because I get to talk to you guys at events and stuff where you've got a successful business but you're looking for that next product. You're looking for line extension. You're looking to grow to the next thing. And so that ideation phase never goes away, right? Something you always do as a successful brand. So what was that ideation phase like? Where did you get stuck? And how'd you get unstuck? For sure. So I think that there's two
1: major components to this. Number one is, I think in this world, building a good product matters more than anything else. I think that right now, the reason why we are still able to continue to acquire new customers even in a very difficult e-commerce environment is because our product is really good. It works really well. And in this sense, it's all because of the R&D that goes into it. So for example, for us, it took us about a year and a half just to finalize the formulation of a product. So every single one of our products takes about 18 months to bring to a customer from ideation. And that's including your manufacturing time, that's including your um, kind of um, R&D time, you're, you're testing with the customers and whatnot, all of this. So basically, first what we do is, say, okay, we have an idea of what the customer wants and we have, we think we know what the ways that people can use our products in, in, in different ways. Let's go and first validate that. So the first thing is we go and talk to a bunch of different customers, either in our community. We actually try to avoid speaking to friends. It's just way too biased. But we just kind of hit as many people with... Uh, who don't know us with, with questions that will give us non-leading answers. So by the way, one thing I learned, right, which is super interesting, is we don't go and ask customers, hey, what's the product you want? We actually go and say, but we're coming with a new product, what do you think it is? That little tweak in that sentence hmm. makes them tell you what they what they think is coming, which is what they actually want. But when you ask them what they want, they don't they don't know what they want. They give you they give you answers that are like way too biased. They're just they're just like they're like, oh, I don't really know. But when you guess it, they don't. That's a really interesting copy tweak that That really helps by a really
0: interesting twist. Yeah, because I think sometimes when you ask someone what is it that you want the first place that people go is like, what do you expect me to say? Or what makes me sound smart? Or what makes me sound not like a selfish jerk? Or, or whatever. Like they, they think more about what I should be saying rather than what I actually want, which is hard to, to put their uh, their finger on. But yeah, that's that's a really interesting twist. So mm-hmm. you use that question in person, asking people in person, or you're doing well, like e- even you know, email service. service stuff?
1: Yeah. 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 I got it. So like, even when we need actual like product feedback or we want to know that, we don't say that. We said, "Hey, we're coming with a product in the next six months. Tell us what you, what what you think it is," and then mm. we actually take those and then start ideating off of those, even though there's no product coming out in six months. I, well, there is. Well, but, there will be. You know, there it it will what it be. Yet, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so is that how? Okay. So you've got you've got three core products right now, right? You've got yeah, you got bloat. You got calm, and then sleep alchemy, which is brand new, right? Just just came out uh, close to the time of this recording. So, is that how you got the idea for sleep alchemy? Was by asking that that those questions?
1: Yeah. So well. Okay. So sleep, we knew before, but all the other ones, we do, we're doing this exact method. And mm. the the idea behind our the way that we can kind of ideate these different products is just that. Okay, we think that we can solve certain problems in certain ways that you can actually feel the effects of. So those are the products that we are ideating and coming up with the most. But then there's a lot of other problems that actually we get from the customers. I actually don't think. If you're in a very innovative space and you're, you're trying to create something a little bit new, I don't think asking customers what they're looking for should inform your decision making. I think this is where you have to be a little bit more of a entrepreneur visionary kind of thing. And I said it in quotes because you just have to have a vision for what you think the world is going to look like. Um, you know, even a year, or two years from now, and then you got to create products for them that they may not know that they want. Like for example, our Broad product is by no means a you know revolutionary product, but it is truly revolutionary in the way that we have formulated it. It's revolutionary in the way that we market it. It's very revolutionary in the way that it solves a very specific problem. Like If you go into the market, there was not many products called bloat. There was actually not no right. products called bloat. So I think that that mindset is pretty helpful.
0: Yeah, that's that's so good, so good, and and yeah, I love that that takeaway alone of you know don't ask customers what they want, ask them other questions that will uncover what they want. Uh, super super smart. So, uh, what what else do you feel like you did really well, uh, either in the very beginning or more recently? Like, what, what's been some of the keys to your success?
1: So. I am Indian and so because of being Indian we love being super super scrappy it is in our blood to be super scrappy and so the at the very beginning so we like i used to work obviously in tech so i was making a lot of money so i used to pour everything that i got from my salary into the business and we didn't even think of raising money we didn't think of anything except for how do we use this capital as efficiently as possible and so every little thing we did was just completely bootstrapped we we uh, try to get manufacturers with low MOQs. We went and drove to different places in Canada to find a manufacturer that worked for us. We went and worked with a doctor that would be really incentivized to work for us in the long run instead of you know giving up a lot of money. As an example, we we were just so scrappy in every possible way,
0: Brett. Mm, I love that. I love that. And what, what's really interesting to me, I've been looking at this and, and, and different research around this, that uh, really constraints. Drive creativity and problem solving. So sometimes, when you have all the money in the world, or, or what feels like an abundance of money, or when you feel like you got all the time you need, or whatever, you often don't come up with good solutions, right? But when you're when you have that scrappy mindset, or you have real constraints, or you just create constraints for yourself, often you come up with better solutions and 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 bigger wins uh, that that lead to better outcomes. So. That's that's fantastic, yeah. Uh, so who's kind of the brains behind the branding here? Is that is that you or is that Sif or is it a combination? Sif is definitely the brains behind the branding. She's the reason why
1: the company is as cool as it is. I think mm-hmm. we're both the brains behind the product and the strategy behind that. But she handles all the branding and marketing. If it was me, this would look like the worst product
0: in the world, so it's definitely all there. <laughs> <laughs> look like a like an IT manual or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so way to go, Sif. Good job. Love the branding. Way to make way to make this product cool. Um, so, I want to, to shift gears a little bit. So, so back when we were having our breakfast with Terry Crews, just kidding. He was he was he, <laughs> Terry Crews was not interested in us. I don't know why. I think if he had known His who loss. we were, how smart we were, he he would have just pulled up a chair and and learned. One hundred percent. But when we were having breakfast, you were talking about. Influencer marketing, right? And you're you're in LA, but you guys also do some stuff in New York and other places. But talk a little bit about, talk about influencer marketing and talk about events because I think you guys are doing some unique stuff there.
1: For sure. So this is actually a really big play for us. And I think that people underestimate the effect, the compounding effect this has over time. For us, we've actually always had a small portion of the budget that's a fixed budget that we put towards branding through influencers and through events. And we use it in a very specific way. So when you're doing events, it is very oriented towards building a community. And when I describe community, I say that when my friends came over to my house when I was really young, my mom used to feed everybody and Mm -hmm. all of my friends would be like, oh my God, this is such a fun time. I'm gonna keep coming back to Nisha's house because this is where we feast, this is where where Nisha's mom takes care of all of us, and we just have a really good time. So for me, when I think of community, I think of a host that is trying to create a really good time for either our customers or other influencers where they get to build valuable relationships with each other and I am the host of that dinner party as an example. And so when we build events, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community where people get a lot of value from meeting other really cool people. And we are simply facilitating that kind of environment. And as a byproduct that not only are, do we get a lot of exposure and a lot of um, hype and a lot of people just loving your brands, people actually leave those events being like, oh my God, I just found a really, really good friend. And so mm. we host these events with not only our customers, but we also host them with um, influencers, whether they're micro influencers or macro influencers, we we have uh, events for you know every stage of different types of influencers, and what we see there is a, a lot of organic social growth because people just like what you're doing. So mm-hmm. one of the things in today's world is that when you're working with influencers, first of all, most influencers say, "Okay, X like X number of dollars, and I'll give you Y." That's the way it's, it's kind of transactional, and people can just totally read through the fakeness of what is happening. For us, we're like. We will only invite people who actually like the brand and like the product. And we only invite people who will talk about us because they actually like what we're doing and they actually resonate with the problem we're trying to solve. So, this kind of way of introducing a brand to someone, or because they've been following us on social media and they've been talking about us and we like the content that they're putting out, just Using these events as a place where we can amplify that relationship has been working really well for us. And now as we grow the brand, we're doing it on a bigger and bigger level. So as an example, the biggest one we ever did was just last month when we launched our sleep capsules. And we had some of the top influencers who are huge brand fans. And we rented out a portion of a hotel in, uh, in in uh um, Santa Barbara. And it was this beautiful hotel overlooking the ocean. Um, and we all had a really amazing dinner there to kind of have people have a sleepover. So they came up, they they had a sleepover, <laughs> we gave them Did all of our sleep, sleep products. Over? We call it a sleepover. That's it was, awesome. the yeah, sleepover. Which was totally
0: ties into the branding, but also ties yeah. into the vibe. Like and I I love this picture of yeah, you your house was the house to hang out at when you were a kid because your mom cooked and because everybody wanted to be there and they were welcome. And so I really like that idea, that, that idea of host, facilitator, you're cultivating these relationships. Okay, awesome. So, you had a sleepover in Santa Barbara, overlooking the ocean. Uh, continue. Uh, sounds so, awesome. I wish so I could.
1: Yeah. You should have been. It was, it was really amazing. <laughs> so, that was amazing. And, like, look, for me, like, when I'm, I'm, again, like, I'm such a numbers guy, I'm looking at the PL, and I'm like, holy shit, like, look at this line item. This is crazy. But the crazy thing is, Brad, we grew 50% last month, month over month, 50% growth. It took care of the cost. Threefold, because of how successful these types of events are, yeah. and it took yeah, care of
0: fifty percent year over year growth, fifty no. percent <laughs> month over month growth, which is staggering, and it's been awesome. It's awesome to, to watch that this close up. So yeah,
1: for sure. And it didn't come, you know, it didn't come like on the day of the event, as an example. It just came because we we're building that over time. Like we do that again and again and again, and it just it shows up over time. So it, it really works. Events really, really works.
0: Yeah, and I love that because you know there, there's all kinds of transactional relationships out there, all kinds of other brands that just have a, a "you do this, I'll do this for you" type of relationship with their influencers. But when you can be really authentic and actually have this, you know, be known as a, a host and as a, a facilitator, cultivator of great relationships, and people attend that and they just really like you, and then they like and they like your product, and they like being part of it that creates a deeper connection and, and you'll get better results too from your influencers, which is which is super cool. So then how did you, any other, so I think that's a really unique thing that probably most people are missing. I'm assuming you're doing a lot of the same, the standard things as well, like give, giving your influencers resources, giving them tools, helping them promote, things like that. And any, any other tips or suggestions for better influencer marketing? For sure. When it comes to influencers,
1: I think one of the main things is that you gotta know and have someone on the team, or it maybe it should be yourself. Like, for example, for me, is Sif. Sif is so in touch with who the influencers are, who is up and coming, and just the people who are really growing or who are so in touch with your type of consumer. And so mm-hmm. having someone, it is honestly more of an art than a science. Finding influencers is, is really an art. And so you got to have people who have that inherent feeling to be able to do that. And so when you once you have that, your job is to, Get in touch with them by either gifting them or, you know, creating different environments for them to be able to be exposed to your brand. That is really the the influencer and um, department's kind of job. And so, so for example, I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of uh, one of her friends who did this. One of her friends actually bought like this crazy expensive uh, designer bag. I think it was I think it was a Louis Vuitton or something. And they bought that, they filled it up with their products and gave it to one of the biggest influencers in the world. Okay, wow. they just dropped it off at their door. And there was no, cause you know, these influencers are so hard to get in, in touch with. And so then the influencer opened up the bag was like, wow, this is insane. And then she started posting about this, this brand and the brand is making it was a positive ROI kind of thing. And it's a very kind of ballsy thing, but this is the way you get in touch or kind of find the people that you really think could you know, move the needle on your brand. So the first thing is find, be in touch with people uh, or have, have a touch on the, the influence that are up and coming or could really make the, move the needle. The second thing is give with zero expectation in return. Mm. For us, from yeah. day one, we literally gave products and we were just like, we actually don't care if you post about us. We just want you to try the product because we really think we're solving a real, real problem here. And if you try our product, you're gonna love it so much, you might just become a customer. And that was truly where we came from at the heart. But we do not care about if it posted or anything monetary. We just did not care. And even to date, we don't. Even to date, when we go to influencers and ask them to do something for us, even in a paid partnership we're like do whatever you want we are not going to review your work you have full autonomy we don't we don't have any strict rules but you know like if you look at any other brand like even bigger brands they're like okay we have a three step review process and then right. by the third step right. the influencer is like not even who they are they're like this different person
0: right right and then it doesn't feel authentic and the, and the audience doesn't buy it fully or it just doesn't feel right but I, I love that so giving was zero expectation in return because and, and that's that's gutsy. That's risky. You got to believe in your product and believe in that you've you're talking to the right people. And it really makes a lot of sense to have someone on your team who can kind of judge that it factor whether whether an influencer has that it factor that that ring of authenticity and are they on the come up and all, all these things. Uh, so yeah, that that's great. So giving without expectation. Um, any, any other thoughts? Any other tips on on influencer marketing? I think
1: that. Apart from that, you have to be really uh, strategic nowadays about the way you spend money on influencers. I mm-hmm. think that the overall market of of uh, influencer kind of uh, pays is really, really inflated, and so it is extremely rare to find influencers who are actually ROI positive. And I, I think there's a there's a certain group at a very high level we call them the whales. Who are really good at promoting your brand. they have millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers, and they can probably break even or be ROI positive. And it's also really good to be associated with them from a brand perspective. And you know those whales are not, not reducing their price, they're sticking where they are. But then as a byproduct, all of the other influencers who are also up and coming have increased their prices. And so I think that what you have to do is you have to know who are you going to spend on from a brand perspective and who are you going to spend on from a ROI perspective? And just be super clear about that and just be like, okay, you know what? If if this influencer is not going to bring me money, is she going to be helpful for me for brand? Okay, I'm going to justify this as a brand cost. If not, I'm not going to spend the money at all because it's really easy to overspend on influencers and see zero returns. At the same time, you have to experiment to see if someone's going to work yes. or not. So it's a very... Like find balance, but uh, don't go overspending. At the same time, just just be mindful of the way you spend on them.
0: Love that so much. Really, really good advice. So, uh, what what else are you excited about right now, Nish, in terms of growth for the brand? Uh, I want I want to talk about some in store stuff in just a minute. Retail distribution in just a minute, but but anything else more on the online D 2 C or just online world? What what else are you excited about as far as growth?
1: Well, honestly, I think that right now, just because where we are. It at, I think you have to be so nitpicky in every part of the business. And so, you know, before back in the day, it was like, okay, let's just do ads, ads, ads. So I spent the first four months of this year just like figuring out our ad strategy across all platforms, making sure we have the right creatives, making sure we're the right buyers, making sure we have the right strategy um, and team to be able to execute on that given how difficult it is to grow ads right now. But totally. I just think that like, look, this is just one portion of it. You got to put an equal amount of effort into your CRO, which is actually a completely different part of that that kind of funnel. And it's an equally important part. And so now I'm just like, okay, building a team around how to go and really optimize the shit out of your landing pages, your website, yeah. and every single yeah. part of the business, you know?
0: Yeah, because sometimes you don't actually have a traffic problem or a quality of ad problem. Sometimes you got a CRO problem. Sometimes your, your landers and your site just aren't converting enough. So yeah, we we were talking about this a little bit offline. That the right now, due, due to just the, the crazy environment, and who knows what's going on exactly with consumer confidence and the economy and all that. And, and you know, things are always going to be uncertain to a to a certain degree. You got to be really good, really good at every area: traffic, paid ads, CRO, branding, influence. You got to be good at all of it, right? Um, which, which is which is really cool uh, and also overwhelming. But hey, it's overwhelming for your competitors too. So if you can figure it out, it gives you an edge. Cool. Anything else you're excited about right now online?
1: Um, I think that those two things are really cool. And the, and the last thing is just I'm I'm really excited about the fact that you can you have to now go figure out different ways to grow that are not mm. digital, digitally native. So yeah. I am I'm getting really excited about things like sampling like like in like physical sampling your products you know like mm. that's been something that we just got back after covid and you can go and have people try your products out and, and obviously it depends on the category you're in but you just got to be so diverse with the way that you're acquiring and thinking of acquiring customers it's it just pushes you to be a better marketer. And so that's 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 fun. Come on. That's gotta be exciting, no?
0: Super fun, man. And and you know, I got my start in on, on offline marketing, so TV and direct mail and stuff like that. So I love that now some of these top e-commerce brands that we work with at OMG, they're they're thinking about offline marketing and in-store stuff. And we're gonna talk about like a little bit of direct mail in some cases, which is which is super interesting. Um, let's talk about what what is your strategy, what is your approach? to get in physical stores? Because I think you know one thing that, that a lot of people know now is that, hey, D2C e-commerce is still a small percentage of overall retail and likely for you to grow to the heights that you want to grow to and to build this huge successful brand, you probably need some in-store distribution, right? So what, what's your strategy and what's your approach to in-store?
1: Yeah, so I think that this is different for every brand. And I think every brand should actually know if they are going to be a retail heavy business or a D2C heavy business with a blend in the future. So for mm-hmm. us, we are a D2C heavy business that can expand further in retail. And so for us, what we noticed is when we initially went off and went into certain retailers, like very boutique ones, you know, we would the most important metric here is sell through. And so if the people in that area don't know about you, you are not going to have success in that retailer because right. there's very few places that people are going to explore. Most people, when they're going to buy something, they're like, okay, I'm going to go in store. I'm going to buy something. Maybe I'll pick up a few things here and there. But like, you got to be super intentional about that. So for us, we realized that it's important to build our name, our brand, our credibility, and our product before we go into any massive retailer because you want people to be excited about the fact that we're also available in in a particular retail store. I'll give you an example about Toronto because we we were a Canadian-based kind of Toronto-based company and we grew in Toronto first. That was our biggest market initially. When it grew there, Canada... Is unfortunately a terrible country for shipping. Shipping is wildly
0: expensive in Canada, and everything's t- spread out. It's yeah. not, there's not a ton of people there, right? Like the population of California, but spread throughout this massive geographic area. It is is
1: crazy, and it just takes so long for things to get places. So when we started in Canada, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like it cost us fifteen dollars to ship something out. This is insane, and so but we, we were doing it, doing it, doing it, and all of a sudden, a year in, people were like. I, I hate how long your shipping is taking. Where can I find you in the store? And that is the kind of place you want to be in because then when your retailers get your product, like people are excited to go and buy from them. And when your retailer is excited, they're getting more sell through. They're being able to sell their product more. And it 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 honestly did not affect our online business. Like it actually grew our online business. So I think building brand first. And building that credibility first, then going into retails in the areas where you're building that brand and, and, and credibility is really important. At least for us, it's been really important. So we we got into Erewhon as an example. You know about this brand, but
0: yeah. Yeah, Erewhon. Yeah, so so let, let me, I want to I uh, key in on Erewhon for just a little bit because that was a new newer brand for me as a, as a Midwest guy. But I love this strategy. If you have the skill set to build a D2C brand first, where you're selling direct-to-consumer online first. Then, and especially if you're doing like Top of Funnel, Facebook, Top of Funnel, YouTube, you're you're building a brand, you've got people out there that are thinking about your brand. Then you launch on Amazon, then you go in store, you're building up this demand for your product. So it's been super fun for me to observe this. Uh, You know, we're uh, native, uh, was just Native Deodorant, now it's a a line of Native client for a long time. Used to work with Moise Ali, the founder, Uh, but now they're everywhere, right? They're they're in Walmart, they're in Target, they're in CVS, they're in Walgreens, they're everywhere. And so they were able to leverage some of their digital strengths and their digital skill set to, to greater in-store sales. But you're right, there's a compounding effect, right? If I see it online, I see it in-store, I see it wherever, that actually can boost online sales too. It doesn't cannibalize it. We've seen similar things on Amazon. We didn't help um, Native launch on Amazon. They, they did that themselves. But uh, when they launched on Amazon, there was no cannibalization of their in-store or their, their D2C sales. Uh, Just helped Boom and Ezra Firestone launch on Amazon recently, and it's gone. It's grown from zero to like 15% of sales, with zero cannibalization of the D2C sales. D2C sales are still in the same growth trajectory. So, but that all comes back to those D2C skill sets, and then leveraging your digital uh, marketing and your paid media to to really have impact on Amazon and in store as well. Which it's it's pretty fun to be a part of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I just think that this you're building an ecosystem, you're building it over time. I think mm-hmm. the concept that the longer you're in market with fewer products, building your community, the more people associate you with you something. And then you can, I think this is the path to building a big brand. I think there's yep. lots of people who can build a Nice five million dollar business with one million dollars in profit and just live off of that forever, and that's that's one way of doing e-commerce.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: totally fine. And there's another way, which is like, if you want to build big, you know, hundred million dollar plus plans, you got to play the long game. And I think that in today's world, it's probably actually I, I feel more comfortable playing the long game because I'm just so not okay with how the entire ecosystem is working. So I think the long game is the way to win in the in the, in, in, in in this entire ecosystem anyway. So
0: yeah. Totally agree. I, I, what's really fun about this for me is I think there was an era, there was like an era of drop shipping in e-com, which is fine. There was the early days of, of success on Amazon, which was kind of just like find some kind of product, slap a label on it, sell it, make millions of dollars. Now though I think the successful brands are brands. They're thinking about building a brand and they're thinking about how all of this compounds, just like we've been talking about Amazon in-store, d to c you're using, you know, leveraging Facebook and, and YouTube and everything to build all of that. Influencers, you know, having it all to work together. So it, it's, it's fun to see real brand building taking place rather than just tactics, you know, to, to grow sales. So um, it's been awesome. A uh, couple things I want to kind well, actually, uh, tell us about Air One, because I think, I think for other Midwest peeps or people that are not in, in the market of where an Air One store is, what is it and why is it so awesome?
1: Well, look, Erewhon is this weird place, okay? It's this like the holy grail of just, uh, like, explorative shopping. It's actually ridiculous. There's all these TikToks on, about Erewhon, about everything costing... $1,350,000. And people would be like, oh, water for only $1 million? Let me go buy it. Like, it's a, it's a joke. <laughs> it must
0: but, be really great. I'm just so <laughs> hydrated after I drink this water. Way better than that water at the gas station.
1: Yeah. Yeah, even to regular water. So, mm-hmm. like, it's just this kind of place where if you enter this location, you forget about money as a reality, and you just go mm-hmm. and, you know, explore these. It's, it's, it's actually really cool. Like, it's, it's really, um, top-notch, super healthy stuff, um, you know, things that are just extremely new and revolutionary in, in the food space, in the alcohol space, in the supplement space, whatever you want to call it. And they just have everything for anybody with, with any sort of even food intolerance or whatever digestive issue you might have and whatnot. And it's such a cool Everything for anybody experience.
0: if you're somebody who has cash. That's If what you're somebody who has, has cash, right, that's for sure. Yeah, disposable income, that's what we're looking for, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, awesome. So, so Nish, what what is next for Array? Well, I am
1: really just excited about coming up with more products that can help more people. I think we've been in market for about two years with just the two products, Bloat and Comp. We just yeah. released our sleep product, and I'm really excited just to create products that people can take together to solve real problems. For, for example, we have a lot of customers who are being able to solve symptoms of IBS and, and Crohn's and other really like symptomatic kind of deep, deep problems because of taking your products. And so you want to expand around that idea to be able to help people with food intolerances because they don't you know, whatever dairy doesn't sit well with them or they have a chronic issue. And so we're expanding our line out so more people can just truly just help solve like very, very deep issues in their body or they might even, may, may not even know that they have an issue they're just like, ah oh man, I hate eating cheese and I hate eating pizza because it doesn't sit well with me. We're going to be able to actually help solve these problems. So people can go out and eat whatever they want whenever they want. They can even sleep and rest really well. So the whole idea behind Array is like feel your best, be your best. And we're coming up with products to help you do that in a very holistic way. So I'm just so excited for people to get hands on our products because they're going to be so life changing, um, just in terms of getting your entire body into nice rhythm. So I'm just excited about that.
0: I love it, man, and I love watching your growth. You know these these first two years, which is crazy to even say to think about the growth you've had over just two years. So can't wait to see what the next year holds and what the next two year holds. Um, and so that's super super exciting. Last kind of last question before we wrap up any any favorite resources tools. Books. This can be e-commerce focused or it can be just productivity focused or something like that. But any any favorite tools or resources you'd recommend?
1: Ooh, let me think about this a little bit. So I love listening to the Smart Marketer podcast when it comes to all things related to like e-commerce advertising and, and whatnot. I actually really like the Triple Whale weekly. Emails that they send out. They're,
0: those emails are great. Yeah, so I get to meet. I get to meet Raba, at a. Was, we both spoke at Nick Shackelford's uh, Geek Out event. Uh, Raba's nice. is one that kind of puts those emails together. Yeah, very thoughtful, fun, but like gets gets to the point. And yeah, th- that email list is great. That's one that I regularly read.
1: Yeah. yeah, that that was amazing. And then my other favorite, just books in general that I like to draw parallels from. I love the. Blitzscaling book by Reid Hoffman. I think that's such a good book to read if you're an entrepreneur. It is Reid so Hoffman important. has a
0: great podcast too called The Masters of Scale. I don't know if you've listened yep. to that, but that is a fantastic podcast.
1: Fantastic. But I've,
0: I'm not familiar. What's What's the book you just mentioned?
1: Blitzscaling. B l i t z yep. scaling. It is one heck of a book. It really just it just talks about how to spend money efficiently and very quickly and outgrow your competitors and, and do that in different markets. It's very tech-focused, but you can draw parallels from certain parts of it towards e-commerce. And is actually one of the main ways you've been able to grow so fast uh, for our business. So I love that book. book and I also loved uh, Building a Story Brand. I think that's what the book is called.
0: Yeah, Donald Miller, Building a Story yeah. Brand. I love yeah. that. I get to I get to meet him briefly. We both spoke at TNC, what? Traffic Conversion Summit a few years ago. We're like in the, in the green room getting this interview thing done. And uh, yeah, great guy. I've read actually several of his books. One of, one of his first books was about, uh, it was called Blue Like Jazz, kind of a story of his struggles with the church, but some positive things too. I, anyway, awesome guy. And that That's book, so cool. it, it ties in so well to yeah, really being a good marketer is very close to being a good storyteller. Lot, lots of parallels. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend For it.
1: For sure. And the last book is $100 Million Offers by Alex Ramosi. That was actually a surprisingly amazing read. It was uh, very tactical and just really helps when it comes to sales, the way you think about offers. Obviously, we all know that offers is everything. Great book for that.
0: Yeah, that's one that um, I first saw. it. I can't remember where, and I never heard Alex uh, speak or anything. So when I first saw it, I was like, meh. Yeah. And then uh, and then a friend recommended it, so I, so I got the audiobook, listened to it. It's fantastic, totally agree. $100 million offers, got to check it out. Fantastic, Nish. So one more time, how can people check out Array? And then can people check uh, can people connect with you on the socials? Are you approachable? Do you like to connect on social medias or more just uh, to the site?
1: <laughs> no, I am very approachable. At least I hope I am. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can find us on Array.com, A-R-R-A-E.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Array.co, Array.co or Array.co. Um, our, our Twitter just got up. It's actually really funny. I think you'll like it. It's been blowing up. And then you can find me at Plenty of Nish on Instagram
0: and Twitter. Plenty of Nish. That's what everybody is thinking. They're like, <laughs> I enjoyed this Nish. I want more Nish. I would like plenty of Nish. And so uh, we'll link to that as well. So Nish, <laughs> thanks so much, man. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for bringing the value and I uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you so much, Fred. This is amazing. Awesome. And as always, thank you for tuning in. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave us that review on iTunes. Shoot us a note. What would you like to hear more of on the podcast? And with that, until next time, thank you for listening.